السلام علیکم ہیلو ڈیئر فرینڈز ویلکم ٹو اے برانڈ نیو ایپیسوڈ آف پروجیکٹ پروگریس وی آر ڈوئنگ دا سیریز ویئر وی آر ریڈنگ این انگلش بک کالڈ اسپیچز دیٹ چینج دا ورلڈ وی آر آن آر تھرڈ اسپیچ ٹوڈے اٹس اے اسپیچ بائی ایملائن پینکرسٹ اٹس اباؤٹ فریڈم اور ڈیتھ اٹس کال at Hartford, Connecticut, United States, from 19th November 1913. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, firstly, the introduction of the speaker. Uh, Emmeline Pankhurst, 1857 to 1928, is arguably the most famous representative of the struggle for votes for women. The English barrister drafted the first women's suffrage bill in Britain and founded the Women's Franchise League in 1899. Pankhurst took the fight for women's suffrage to a new level. Public demonstrations and rallies often resulted in police violence and the arrest of her and her followers. Under arrest, Pankhurst and her followers suffragettes staged hunger and thirst strikes and had to be force-fed by the police, usually through a funnel thrust down their throats. The police released the women until they were nursed back to health and re-arrested them. The cycle known as the cat and mouse game would start all over again. The damage to the women's health was astounding and Pankhurst would often speak at rallies from a stretcher. In November 1913, Pankhurst made her third fundraising tour of the United states where her tactics had received widespread publicity since the turn of the century um, <clears throat> so um, we're talking about women's rights over here and uh, let's just jump right into the speech uh, i haven't read it before so um, let's read it together and we'll have candid reactions and comments as we go along Uh, so here we start again. Um, I do not come here as an advocate because whatever position the suffrage movement may occupy in the United States of America, in England it has passed beyond the realm of advocacy and it has entered into the sphere of practical politics. It has become the subject of revolution and civil war and so tonight I am not here to advocate women's suffrage. American suffragists can do that very well for themselves. I am here as a soldier who has temporarily left the fields of battle in order to explain. It seems strange it should have to be explained what civil war is like when civil war is waged by women. I am not only here as a soldier temporarily absent from the field of battle, I am here and that I think is the strangest part of my coming. I am here as a person who according to the law courts of my country it has been decided is of no value to the community at all and I am a judge because of my life to be a dangerous person under sentence of penal servitude in a convict prison. So you see, there is some special interest in hearing so unusual a person's address Mm, uh, so unusual a person address you. I dare say in the minds of many of you, you will perhaps forgive me this personal touch that I do not look either very like a soldier or very like a convict yet and yet I am both. 
It would take too long to trace the course of militant methods as adopted by women because it is about eight years since the word militant was first used to describe what we were doing. It was about eight years since the first militant action was taken by women. It was not militant at all except that it provoked militancy on the part of those who were opposed to it. When women asked questions in political meetings and failed to get answers, they were not doing anything militant. To ask questions at political meetings is an acknowledged right of all people who attend public meetings. Certainly in my country, men have always done it, and I hope they do it in America because it seems to me that if you allow people to enter your legislatures without asking them any questions as to what they are going to do when they get there, you are not exercising your citizens' rights and your citizen duties as you ought. At any rate, in Great Britain, it is a custom, a time-honored one, to ask questions of candidates for parliament and ask questions of members of the government. No man has ever put out of... No man was ever put out of a public meeting for asking a question until votes for women came on the political horizon. The first people who were put out of a political meeting for asking questions were women. They were brutally ill-used. They found themselves in jail before 24 hours had expired, but instead of the newspapers, which are largely inspired by the politicians putting militancy and the reproach of militancy, if reproach there is, on the people who had assaulted the women, they actually said it was the women who were militant and very much to blame. It was not the speakers on the platform who would not answer them who were to blame, or the ushers at the meeting. It was the poor women who had had their bruises and their knocks and scratches and who were put into prison for doing precisely nothing but holding a protest meeting in the street after it was all over. However, we were called militant for doing that, and we were quite willing to accept the name because militancy for us is time-honored. You have the church militant, and in the sense of spiritual militancy, we were very militant indeed. We were determined to press this question of the enfranchisement of the women to the point where we were no longer to be ignored by the politicians, as had been the case for about 50 years, during which time women had patiently used every means open to them to win their political enfranchisement. Experience will show you that if you really want to get anything done, it is not so much a matter of whether you alienate sympathy. Sympathy is a very unsatisfactory thing if it is not practical sympathy. It does not matter to the practical suffragist whether she alienates sympathy that was never of any use to her. What she wants is to get something practical done. And whether it is done out of sympathy or whether it is done out of fear or whether it is done because you want to be comfortable again and not be worried in this way doesn't particularly matter so long as you get it. We had enough of sympathy for 50 years. It never brought us anything and we would rather have an angry man going to the government and saying my business is interfered with and I won't submit to its being interfered with any longer because you won't give women the vote than to have a gentleman come on to our platforms ear in, ear, ear in and ear out and talk about his ardent sympathy for women's suffrage put them in prison they said and that will stop it but it didn't stop it they put women in prison for long terms of imprisonment for making a nuisance of themselves that was the expression when they took petitions in their hands to the door of the house of commons and they thought that sending them to prison 
giving them a day's imprisonment would cause them to all settle down again and there would be no further trouble but it didn't happen so at all instead of the women giving it up more women did it and more and more women did it until there were 300 women at a time who had not broken a single law only made a nuisance of themselves as the politicians say the whole argument with the with the anti-suffragists or even the critical suffragist man is this that you can govern human beings without you can that you can govern human beings without their consent they have said to us government rests upon force and the women haven't force so they must submit well we are showing them that the government does not rest upon force at all it rests upon consent as long as women consent to be unjustly governed they can be but directly women say we withhold our consent we will not be governed any longer so long as the government is unjust not by the forces of civil war can you govern the very weakest women you can kill that woman but you, she escapes you then you cannot govern her and that is i think a most valuable demonstration we have been making to the world now i want to say to you think women Uh, now i want to say to you who think women cannot succeed we have brought the government of england to this position that it has to face this alternative either women are to be killed or women are to have the vote i ask american men in this meeting what would you say if in your senate you are faced with the this alternative that you must consider either kill them or give them their citizenship women many of whom you respect women who you know have lived useful lives women whom you know even if you do not know them personally are animated with the highest motives women who are in pursuit of liberty and the power to do useful public service well there is only one answer to that alternative there is only one way out of it unless you are prepared to put back civilization two or three generations you must give those women the vote now that is the outcome of our civil war you won your freedom in america when you had the revolution by bloodshed by sacrificing human life you won the civil war by the sacrifice of human life when you decided to emancipate the negro you have left it to the women in your land the men of all civilized countries have left it to the women to work out their own salvation that is the way in which we won we women of england are doing human life for us is sacrifice but we say if any life is to be sacrificed it shall be ours we won't do it ourselves but we will put the enemy in the position where they will have to choose between giving us freedom or giving us death wow those are some really really amazing words and um sometimes uh, it does happen that you know in the world over there are causes where it comes between death or getting your demands uh, fulfilled so um, that is how this uh, situation played out uh, a little more description by the author uh, about the situation a man emeline pankhurst was detained on 
Ellis Island Immigration Station, New York, during this tour, which was not unusual for her. She was arrested several times during her life for, for conspiracy in 1912 and for inciting violence under the Cat and Mouse Act in 1913. She was arrested 12 times during 1914. Her call was freedom or death, and some took Pankhurst at her word. In June 1913, suffragette Emily Davidson threw herself in front of King George V's horse, Anmer, as it competed in the English Derby. The 40-year-old Miss Davidson lingered on for six days before she died. The woman's movement's first heroine and martyr. Despite New Zealand granting women the vote in 1889, the first country to do so, and Australian women achieving suffrage in 1902, World War One put the issue of votes for women in England and the United States on hold for four years. In England, women over the age of 30 were finally granted the vote in 1918 with full suffrage achieved in 1928. In 1920, the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was passed, giving American women the right to vote. One year after Pankhurst had returned to America and settled in Canada after remarrying, historians now credit the work of suffragist uh, Millicent Fawcett, England, and Carrie Chapman Catt, USA, as the driving force which led to women achieving the right to vote in the two largest democracies in the world at the time. However, it was Emmeline Pankhurst who put the movement through her own example and sacrifice on the world stage. That's it for today. Uh, we'll be returning with a new episode of our English reading segment uh, whenever possible. Maybe tomorrow, maybe day after. Mm. And we'll try to improve ourselves on the four points we discussed in the previous episode. Uh, for now, adios. But till next time, uh, praying for progress in our lives.